Amen. It's good to be back. We're going to start off a little different um, this morning first because I had someone come up to me and said, now I heard you ride motorcycles and he said, do you really ride motorcycles or do you ride on back of the motorcycles? And I said, no, I really ride motorcycles. So I had uh, ministered in a school, um, uh, I don't know what you call your secondary level, but anyhow, in down in um, Ariwa, and they thought it might be good for me to break the ice with the kids. I had about 500 kids, I think, in an assembly, and we did a, decided to show a few pictures of my motorcycle, okay? So I, after that gentleman asked me, I thought I would start off today with a few pictures of my motorcycle, okay? So that's me riding down the road. That bike is a 1300 Yamaha Tour, and that's kind of my touring bike that I like to do more long distance riding on. And what do we have next? That's the picture of the tank. The motorcycle is called Fierce. Women like to name their motorcycles, okay, and decorate them. When I had my motorcycle business, we would put, some of them had Swarovski crystals on them and, and decked out and themes and animal prints and lots of different things. But that's my gas tank there. So I ride down the road with the Lion of Judah, okay. Uh, that was me in front of our dealership, okay, on my bike, okay, and now that, any of you guys who ever watched, like, um, on Discovery, American Chopper, anybody watch American Chopper? Okay, well, that's Paul Jr., Vinny, and then their mom right there standing with me, and their mom is a spirit-filled Christian, wonderful woman, good friends. And they were down at my shop when we did an unveiling. So that motorcycle um, we designed, and um, I worked with a team, but a lot of it was concept that I wanted to see put into a motorcycle. And for those of you who might not know what this means, there's, there's a part down there right above the muffler that's kind of curved like that. That's called a swing arm, okay? And I always say that that is the sexiest swing arm on the market, okay? There's not another one like it. Okay, so that was that motorcycle is called the Wildcat, and that was some of the team that helped me develop it right there. And like I said, Paul Jr., Vinny, and, and their mom. Okay, so yes, I do ride my own motorcycle. Okay, <laughs> and I'm still riding. My husband and I are still riding. And I think that's it, isn't it? One more? Okay. Oh, now here is a picture. My motorcycle is called Fierce. You can see Fierce down there. And, um, and then on my my headlight, it actually says Mama Roar, because that's what they used to call me in the motorcycle world, I'm Mama Roar. And then the second bike over is my sister's motorcycle, and the third bike over is one of my daughters. So both of my daughters ride too, and um, those are our bikes. Okay, so yes, I do still ride my own motorcycle, okay? And I've actually, <laughs> yes, um, again, when, when I realized this one day, it was a little bit of shock because I'm, I'm going to be 65 in a month, and I realized I've been riding motorcycles for 55 years. That's a long time. I started when I was 10. Yeah, 10. I started riding bikes. I rode for a long time. Yeah, I started on a little smaller one, but it, you just keep building up. But uh, I was explaining to him, my husband, when I married him, I had gotten born again and married him, and... 
he was not a motorcyclist and my bike had been down and right at that time we hadn't really had a conversation about it and we got married and I said you know I want to get my motorcycle back on the road and he's like motorcycle you're not gonna ride motorcycle I'm like what what are you talking about you know and I had said okay God when I get married again I'm gonna do it your way and that S word in the Bible you know that submit word I'm gonna do that and I said that that was my one of my most teeth gritting things I ever did to submit to and um, it was not easy and I also kind of understood because right not too long after we got married I had so many points from speeding I lost my license, you know, or insurance, yeah. So that didn't help my argument, you know, that I should, you know, be able to ride motorcycles. But he'd never really been around him, and he had a couple bad experiences, so he didn't. So then the Lord moves us to Daytona Beach, where you have Bike Week and Oktoberfest, and it's a biker world. And then we get ordained, and at our ordination, they prophesied and said, we see you ministering to bikers and moving in the power gifts and all of this stuff. And I remember afterwards saying, honey, I know bikers. They don't really respect other people the same way if they don't have a motorcycle, <laughs> you know, especially some groups. And so long story, he finally let me start riding again. And then I prayed and God, I finally said, if God gave you a motorcycle, would you take it as a sign that you're supposed to ride? And he said, well, I'm, I'm, I might. Two weeks later, I had a cousin in the state of Virginia, which we had not even seen in years, called and said, I've got this motorcycle. It's a 750 Yamaha. And, you know, I, could I just donate it to the ministry? It's only got 10,000 miles on. Could you give us a write-off, the whole thing? I said, yeah. And it was the perfect starter bike for my husband. I was like, yes, okay. So he started riding. And then it was about two years later, he looked at me one day and he said, I just want you to know if you ever quit riding, I'm not. Because he fell in love with it and he loves it. And so now we, we ride together. It's one of the things we enjoy doing together. And because he learned how, see, when you ride motorcycle, it just clears your mind. You, you get oxygenated, lots of dopamine, okay, good dopamine stuff. There's just a lot of wonderful things about it. And sometimes people, and I gave him a real hard time because when he was wanting me to let me start riding again a little bit, he kept trying to say, well, maybe if you would buy a little bike. Now, there's some places real little smaller bikes are better. But if you buy a smaller bike, okay? And I was like, you don't understand. You, you've not ridden, so you don't understand. A bigger bike is safer, okay? Especially in our roads in America. It, you know, when you're traveling down major highways at 70, 80 miles an hour, you you want a bike that holds the road, you want a good braking system, everything. Little bikes, yeah, I don't want to buy, ride a little bike. And so then he rode his 750, and then his next bike was a 1700, okay? Okay, it was a 1700. And I said, no, don't you want to buy a little bike? Wouldn't a little bike be better? And he's like, okay, enough already. So, <laughs> so I said when I started my motorcycle business, uh, I, I said that it was his penance to have to help a lot of other women ride for those years I didn't ride. And so, you know, and one day I was asking the Lord, I was like, Lord, if he's going to end up riding and loving, what was that all about? And the Lord said something very interesting. 
he said, um, he said, I used him to help make a lady out of you, and now you can have both. Okay? So I said, okay, whatever, but I'm just going to keep writing as many years as I can to make up for some of those I didn't. <laughs> so anyhow, that is uh, just a little bit. I wanted to give you something else before we started. And... Um, I'm going to just put this down a minute. So does everybody know what this is kind of the universal symbol of? Surrender. Surrender? What else? Um, worship. Worship, right? For us. And worship is surrender, isn't it? But that's kind of the universal s symbol. Now I'm going to give you just a little tidbit, and this is connected to a little bit of what we're talking about related to sexuality. And that is... Our bodies, now, because I'm always about, how did God wire our body? Now, here's an amazing thing that they have proven out, okay, is that if you stand, man or woman, for two minutes, guess what happens to your body? You have a natural shot of testosterone. A nat yeah, natural shot of testosterone. Everybody, Sunday morning. Glory to God. Now, when I do it, I do it and pray in tongues at the same time. Okay, because it gives a natural shot of testosterone. So God wired us in a way that if we would do what the word says about lift up your hands, O ye people, okay, that we not only get stronger spiritually, but literally physically we feel stronger because testosterone makes us feel stronger, okay? And women need it. Women need it for their sex drive. Women need it sometimes when they need, if you got to go into a different meet, a difficult meeting, girls, what you want to do is you go in the bathroom and two minutes. Two minutes. Now, you got to have a conversation with your husband and he steamrolls you sometimes. Two minutes. Natural shot of testosterone. Okay? I've always, in my motorcycle business, I used to explain because the average age of a woman rider in America is 42. Most women start riding like in their late 40s, 50s, and 60s, not when they're younger. And I would say the reason that this is is because women's estrogen is going down, which means they got more testosterone, and now they're saying, yeah, I think I can do that. Yeah, I want a motorcycle. Their husbands are going, what? Okay. And then I always say, and the men, guys, I hate to tell you, but your testosterone is going down. And, and so, and you say, okay, dear, whatever you want. Okay. And that's the way it works. Okay. And that's why more women start riding when they're, when they're older. Um, so, but that is just how God wired us. But it's phenomenal because we're not only empowered spiritually, but he wired us. And if we will do the word of God, we are literally empowered with an extra shot of testosterone. It works. And like I said, I give it that extra because the Bible says when you pray in the spirit, what? You build up your spirit. You edify yourself. So I like to, why not if I'm going to do it? Unless I'm in worship. But I will pray in the spirit. 
Okay, that's, a, that's just a tidbit. That's not even in your notes. Okay, so I'm going to do just a bit of refreshing because we had a, a few people who weren't here last night. Can't go over it all. Uh, you do have notes. But um, we talked, we ended with, we talked about shame, fear, control. We talked about some of the stats. I had a number of you come up to me saying that you were pretty shocked at some of the statistics, but those are all in the notebook. And then we talked about how do we dismantle shame, fear, control? Because shame, fear, control has been since the beginning of time, and it, wanted, it wants to ensnare all of us. And for us to really get free, even in that area of sexuality, we've got to come out from under the shame, quit not talking about it, you know, quit being ashamed of it, realize it's God, God made us this way. And that's what I always say is, if God had edited this and took all the sexual aspects out of it, well, then I would edit. But he didn't. There's all kinds of things about sexuality in this book. I mean, there's rape in this book, okay? It talks about bestiality in this book, sodomy, he, you know, sex, adultery. All of, I mean, he talks about it all in this book, okay? Um, you know, looking at a woman and, and, and with lust in their heart. The Bible, the Bible talks about that before there was ever pornography, okay? Or at least, I shouldn't say that, there was pornography. It wasn't, it's just not the kind we have today, okay? So the Bible was talking about all of this stuff. So if we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about what the Word talks about and what God talks about, and obviously, He created us for. And then we came along and we started talking about sexual imprinting last night. And um, I don't have my little Play-Doh, but I, I illustrated that God created us for covenant sexuality, for a man and a woman to be faithful from marriage until they part, okay? That's what the Word says. And also said that a good God wouldn't make that really, really hard, except I didn't say it quite like that, right? Um, but a good God would make us so that can be put into practice, not that it would be impossible, okay? Would you, would you do that as a father and say, okay, here's how I want to do it, but I'm going to make it impossible for you to do it? No. A good father would say, okay, I want you to do this, so I wired you for it, okay? And that is that mechanism that we call sexual imprinting, okay? That whatever our, like, real first sexual experiences are, we are imprinted with that, and usually there is a desire or a strong pull to go back to it. Now, what we, I didn't say, the two most greatest is, like, one of the greatest is that first-time imprinting. And then the other is repetitive imprinting. So both of those. And when you put the two together, it's extremely powerful, okay? And then I shared some stories that I don't have time to go over for. Went to some, some of those were pretty amazing stories, right? Of how people got imprinted and then what behavior it created down the road because of that imprinting, because it's extremely powerful. And like I said, I really challenge parents and youth pastors and different things to help youth understand covenant sexuality because most of the time our message is it, it doesn't hold weight because we're just like don't do it it's wrong don't talk about it don't think about it you know and and you find that 
children can be very sexual beings at times, but if they're not guided at all or misguided or misdirected, they really don't understand, and so they will tamper with things that they're going to later have problems with. And so, um, and then we talked about faith because I don't ever, because God never leaves us without a message of hope, without a message of faith, without being believing that, that these things can change. Because especially anybody, if you talk to them about sexual imprinting and they've had trouble with it, or even a young person who maybe um, has experienced something sexual, or even someone who was sexually abused. Because even the imprinting of sexual abuse, a lot of times shame is imprinted into their sexuality. And so they feel shame related to sex. Now, sometimes it's what they believe and things like that, too. Those have to be renewed. But you want to also minister to that sexual imprinting. And we went over some scriptures, right? Because God says, behold, all things have become new. With God, what? All things are possible. He says he makes beauty for, from ashes, oil of joy for mourning. Um, not to consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. He says, for our shame, we will have double honor. There's all kinds of scriptures we can take to say our God is a good God and is not going to leave us there. And so I always say, you know, the church, we can, we can believe for healing of cancer. We can believe for prayer for heart attacks. But my goodness, if someone brings their sexuality, ah, Ah, do I have do I have faith for that? Do I have belief that God can do something here? Can he bring healing to that? And um and many times what's happening is we're not exercising our faith, number one, and we've kind of let the God just totally out of that. And I was sharing last night that the church has to take back the message of sexuality. We have to take it back because if we leave a void, the enemy fills it. The enemy will come in and, 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 and dictate in that arena. And uh, he's been doing a, a pretty good job in a lot of places. And from the stats in your country, um, it, it's also a problem in your nation. So we didn't do it last night just for time's sake. It's something I don't, I don't want to rush. And... Um, Let's see, because I'm moving around in your workbook some. Where are we at here? Okay. Um, on page 20 in your workbook, about halfway through, it says the ministry. And then it says laying on of hands and prayer for cleansing and restoration of covenant sexuality. And then there's two prayers. One is a prayer for a married person. One is a prayer for a single person. Now, let me tell you, these prayers do not have to be prayed exactly for it. I am not, I'm not, I'm not one of those superstitious, like, you've got to pray this prayer exactly. This is just for helping someone learn how to pray. This is an example of a prayer. Okay? Um, so, Lydia... Can you come up here? I'm going to use you as a guinea pig here for a second. And um, can someone bring me a chair for her? Just get me a chair. Grab me a chair. 
Okay. Just put the chair there. Okay, and I'm not going to embarrass you, okay? Now, are you married? Yes. Okay, sit down. Now, again, I don't have to know exactly. M many times when you minister, you know exactly what the imprinting is. But I can still believe God and have the faith that if there was anything imprinted in her sexuality that was n not godly, that caused her any shame, caused her anything like that, I can pray and ask God to make that brand new. Okay. I can ask for a cleansing of that. And so, again, I'm not going to pray exactly like that, uh, the prayer, but I'm going to just pray it prophetically because you can do it. You can just read it out exactly or you can pray. So I'm going to pray, okay, for Lydia. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I come before your throne, Lord, and I ask that you would release a cleansing fire, God, I pray that you would wipe the slate clean. Anything that was imprinted in her sexuality, in Lydia's sexuality, anything imprinted that was not of you, that was outside the realm of covenant now, God, I ask that you would release a divine cleansing, Lord God. I pray that you would cleanse her mind, her emotions, her body, every part of her. And Lord, I thank you, God, that the next time that she and her husband come together, God, that covenant sexuality will be written on her sexual slate, Lord. I thank you, God, that it is holy. I thank you that it is sanctified. I thank you for your cleansing fire now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Okay? Doesn't have to be a hard thing, doesn't have to be a long thing, but it has to be a thing, okay? Okay? Good? Yes. Feel good? Yes. Amen. <laughs> okay? You can take that chair. Okay? So, I want to do a twofold thing because a lot of times we may need some ministry, but also we have to learn how to do ministry. Now, I, let me share this, okay? If you feel like this is something I just don't want to go there, totally understand. I would encourage everybody to go there because it's pretty amazing, okay? And I'm going to release. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know if I have the faith for that to happen, but I want you to know I have the faith for it to happen, okay? And I am releasing my faith and combining it with your faith that today, if you pray and lay hands on someone and pray that prayer, and you can just follow it right along Ask them if they're married or single. A little bit different prayer. Because in the single prayer, we ask that you would restore, restore to them their spiritual virginity. Ask them to restore passion and create a desire to live with a pure heart before you. We thank you for a new beginning, Lord. And I have seen people's virginity restored. Even natural. had some that have been even natural. The natural virginity was restored. But many times the the emotional body restored. And so what we're going to do, now you can do this one or two ways, okay? I'm going to give you room here. You may, last night when I was talking, you may have got, oh, that was my sexual imprinting. And if you feel comfortable sharing that with your partner, because we're going to partner up, 
men with men, women with women. If you feel comfortable sharing that, share that and say, okay, here's what I think was my imprinting. So they have, know a little bit about, and sometimes you, have, you might have to forgive someone for that imprinting, okay? If you don't feel like you wanna talk about those details, okay? Like I said, it'll help get you free, but you don't have to. But if you feel like you do, share them. But if not, what I want you to really ask the Lord is, what was imprinted in my sexuality? Was it fear? Could have been shame? Could have been shame and fear? Like for me, was it alcohol and rebellion? You know, could have been something occult related? Whatever it is, ask the Lord so you can share that with your partner. It could have been trauma. Say, I really believe I was imprinted with trauma. And not that we're just praying for that. We're praying for everything. But it, sometimes it's good to pinpoint what else could have been imprinted into your sexuality. Sometimes disassociation. And disassociation is when we're disconnected. We're not really present. Um, many times sexual abuse victims are, sometimes they disassociate in the sexual act, they're not really there. You know, if it's a wife, their husband will say, well, we have sex, but I feel like she's not really there. Why? Because she's disassociated, because that's what happened in the uh, imprinting memory, okay? So I know this is a stretch, and especially for some of you who weren't here last night, I'm kind of throwing you in a little deeper water. And, but I really encourage you, and we're gonna take some time, and could, could I get the sound guys to put on just a real good instrumental for me, nice and peaceful? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna find a partner, okay? And like I said, women with women, and I really want you to pray, don't just gravitate to, oh, this is my best friend and I feel safe, but I want you to get up and really pray, see if the Lord leads you to somebody. And then, and you can take chairs and move them around so you're not right next to each other. But we're going to activate, okay? And we are going to lay hands and pray. Now, let them talk first, and they can share as much or as little as they want to share. But then you're going to lay hands on them, and you're going to take one of these prayers, either for a married person or a single person, and you can just pray and put their name in there. You're going to need to get their name put their name in there, and pray that prayer over them. Amen? So I am praying right now for the anointing, for God's healing, for the faith that God can do all things, for to believe that God didn't bring you here to send you to go home the same way you came, but that he wants to do something here today. Amen? Can we all agree for that? Okay, so I want you to get up, find a partner, Okay, find a partner. If you got to move chairs around, we can move them back. I want you to get comfortable. We're going to talk to someone we don't know well about sex. Okay, we are going to take another step out of the shame game. Okay, so find somebody. Heather, can you? Okay, if everybody can find us somebody. Everybody find us somebody. Now, like I said, 
If you want to share what you think is your imprinting, if you want to share that memory, that's really good. If you need to forgive anybody, forgive. Or what else you think might have been imprinted into that area. Okay? Has everybody got a somebody? So we bind up all shame, fear, control now. In Jesus' name, we just take authority over it right now. Lord, we just ask for your grace. No judgment, Lord God. Your supernatural grace, Father. In Jesus' name. Okay, we got it. When you feel like you're finished, if you can just begin to find your seat, let me know you're done. Are there any teams that aren't finished yet? Got a few that are still praying. So look at how far you've come. You just came to a workshop to get a little information, and now you've become Restoring Sexuality Ministers. And that amazing? I love about the Lord is what he does is amazing and very complex and things, but like salvation means so much, but yet it's easy to get saved, isn't it? It really, it should be very easy. It, it's easy to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes we make it hard, but really he just says, if you'll just ask for the Holy Spirit, how much will I give it to you? Okay? So it, it's really not complex, and I think sometimes we try to complicate things in the Lord, so maybe we sound smarter or whatever, but God just, he's pretty simple. He wants to heal, <laughs> and he wants to restore. Okay? And so... And when we, we work with the Lord and with his spirit, the spirit will do it. I remember when I first started um, moving more and more in the healing ministry, and I would get some really serious cases. They'd be like the ones that would say, if this doesn't work, I'm going to go home and kill myself. Okay? Or if this doesn't work, we are getting a divorce, you know, and they got five kids or whatever. So it's like that really. So a lot of times in the beginning, I'd be on the way into that counseling room saying oh god please show up oh lord please meet me there oh jesus please be there and then i got the revelation is he always wants to be there and he always wants to show up because this is what he came to do okay now i always say we can't get healed until our theology is healed okay so let me give you kind of a picture of the way this thing works. You know, I got tape on my shoes. Someone untape me. I have danced out of the boundaries. Okay. Um, but in, you know, God says that he knew us before the foundations of the earth, right? We were in the Lord way back there. So I was there. 
then I got sent to earth. But before I got sent to earth, sin came into the world, right? Right? So God created this marvelous, amazing, wonderful, again, such a powerful thing called families. And it was supposed to be the greatest source of blessing, protection, and provision on the earth. That was God. God originally intended all of us to be in that kind of a family. And when our theology is off, we feel like God handpicked me, stuck me in this mess of a family, you know, sort of ruined me. And so God doesn't love me like he loves the person who got a family who wasn't so messed up, okay? But that's not tr true. When he was going to send you the earth, families were going to be a good thing. But like I said last night, he's not a safe God, so he gave us free will. And when free will came in, and the other thing is we can't be upset about free will because you know what you can't have without free will is love. Love is not love unless it's a choice. Love is not love if it's compelled. Love is only love because of freedom, okay, and freedom of choice. So he gave us this thing called free will, and sin entered in. And then you know what came along with it? The snowball effect called generational sin. Just like in the book of Kings, it would say, and this son was evil, and his son was more evil, and his son was more evil, until a righteous king would appear, and what? Repent of all the sins of the fathers, tear down the altars, and begin to establish a lineage of righteousness. So you un ended up where you ended up, not because God handpicked you for suffering. Now, will he redeem it all? Will he create a testimony out of it? Will he do that work for you? Absolutely. But he did not set you up to go there. Sin did. And that snowball of sin just kind of steamrolled right over you and messed your life up. And not just in the sexual arena, but here's the deal. There's this beautiful thing called the cross. And on the other side of the cross, Isaiah 61 is the other side of the cross. And the other side of the cross is the Lord restoring you back to that original intention. And when we let the work be done, we get back to who he originally intended us to be. Not broken, not damaged, not bitter, not ashamed, but who he originally intended. And that's the journey that we all have to go on. And sometimes when our theology isn't right, we're so mad at God. Why did he give me a father who beat me? Why did he give me a grandfather that sexually abused me? Why was my family in poverty? You know, all of that stuff. And yeah, we have to maybe forgive them because they're choices. But a lot of times our parents, our parents didn't get there by themselves. And their grandparents didn't get there by themselves. And our great-great-grandparents didn't get there by themselves. It is a generational effect. That's why Isaiah 61 says that I've come to repair the desolation of many generations. Okay? And so we have to allow them, but we have to get our theology right 
because if our theology isn't right, we're mad at the very one who can fix everything. You know, I don't trust him because something bad happened to me. No, something bad happened to you because of the devil, generational sin. You know, and especially when you have a cult upline, things like Masonic, you know, just different occultic religions and things like that, always downline you will find usually sexual issues, sexual sin, perversion. The other thing you'll find is fear, a lot of fear. A lot of times you'll find addictions, premature death, accidents. Usually that is a high indicator that there is still upline occult that nobody was that righteous king and said, take it. I love, I have taken a boatload of my family's sin to the cross. I have been able to be a righteous king. He says what? We're kings and priests, right? I've been a righteous king and gone before him with a whole lot of generational sin. There, you know, if, I always say, you know, if, if you're in doubt about it, it doesn't hurt. You're never going to get in trouble with God that, you know, you've taken generational sin to the cross and he's like mad at you for it. No. It, 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 you know, the Bible was always about, I repent for my sins and the sins of my fathers. Okay? So there's nothing is going to hurt by being able to do that. So sometimes we've got to look at that generational component and we've got to get our theology healed so we can get healed. So we can get restored back to God's original intentions. And so I want to give, give just this quick testimony related to generational sin. Um, because my, I told you last night how I finally, I said I knew how I got pregnant, but I didn't know how I got pregnant. And then I realized that generational component of illegitimacy in my family line. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 23.2 that one of Ill illegitimate birth shall not enter into the assembly of God to the 10th generation. That's a whole lot of people. Whole lot of people. Okay. Actually, I think it's like 828 people, something like that, when you multiply it out. That's a lot of people. And so as a pastor, as I began to learn that and I saw the results with my uh, daughter, because she, my oldest daughter was conceived illegitimately, so you couldn't, even, you couldn't get her into church. She didn't want to have anything. We were pastoring, never came. And we went through restoring the foundations and really dealt with that sin of illegitimacy and also some major areas um, related to alcoholism because my, on my grandfather's side, it was during prohibition, and they were moonshiners. And so one day I was in a workshop um, with a, a couple who founded Restoring the Foundations, and I was kind of really wrestling. I was already doing some inner healing, deliverance, that sort of thing. And they started talking about this generational sin stuff, and I'm wrestling. I got some scriptures I'm wrestling with. And sometimes the Lord will just do something so you don't have to wrestle anymore. And so I can't do this simultaneously, but he had us come to this place where we were going to ask God to show us a generational sin he wanted us to repent over. Now, in my family, it was always a funny story that my grandmother, when she was 13, would take a picnic basket and take a bus out to the country where my, she met my grandfather, who they had one of the largest underground stills in the area, and then bring it back. That's how they met. And that was kind of a funny family story. And my family always said we drank at weddings and funerals and everything in between. Okay? 
It was just the way it is. If you didn't, there was something really wrong with you. And so, but this was in the family line. So my daughters now have multiplied it because generational sin often will multiply. Now they're drinking, but they're also drugging and they are just messed up, okay? I'm, I'm hardly seeing them, having contact with them. So I'm in this workshop and all of a sudden, I can't say it simultaneously, but this happened simultaneously. Because all of a sudden, I said, okay, God, what's in? And all of a sudden, I started getting flashes. And the flashes were little children crying and like pulling at their mother because they were hungry. And I knew it was because of the moonshine. They'd spent money on the moonshine. I got, right as I was starting to get the flashes, the instructor said, I see someone's family was involved with moonshining. Okay. And God was showing me these pictures. I saw this lady getting slapped across the face. And I knew the things that I was seeing, and there were several of them, were because of my family and what they had done related to moonshine. And I'm telling you, it wasn't like my theology wasn't sorting scriptures. I was nearly on the floor repenting, saying, oh, God, for what my family has done, for what my family has done, and just repented of it. And do you know, once I repented of those generational sins of illegitimacy, those generational sins related to the moonshine, the alcohol, everything, my daughter, who I could hardly, I would go to Orlando, to I'd find what restaurant they were working at, go there to eat so I might be able to see them even from a distance. That was our relationship. We went, did that all in February. By June, she was home in the church and is still in the church and serving God with me, with us, okay? And I didn't do, yes, I didn't do anything different, okay? So it never hurts to repent of a generational component, but that sin. And so sometimes even in our church, I know as a pastor, as I began to get revelation, sometimes we have people in our church and you can tell they're just not entering into worship. Or they come to church, but they don't really enter into fellowship. They're kind of always on the fringes. And I would begin to just take them inside and say, look, I don't know if you've ever seen this scripture, but I think the enemy may be trying to block you. You have trouble entering into worship. Mm -hmm. You have trouble entering into fellowship. Well, let's just see. Do you know if there was any Ill illegitimacy in your family line? Some would say, oh, yeah, a bunch. I said, okay, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 23.2. Let's just repeat repent before the Lord of any of that illegitimacy in the family line. Let's see what happened. And many times it was like just a break and they were able to enter in and worship because the enemy will come for the fine print in the contract sometime and say, okay, I've got this fine print. You think you're going to get on with God? No, I'm going to block you here. But the Holy Spirit can help you remove. It's just like what the enemy was doing. You think you're going to have family serving the Lord. You think those prophecies about family ministry are going to come true? No, I've got a right and I'm going to do everything I can to keep her out of the assembly of God. But we took away that right and guess what? The enemy was defanged and she was home, been there ever since. Okay. Serving God, loving the Lord. Wonderful. So anyhow, that's just something to, um, to really think about because sometimes there is that component but I would just really want to encourage you all I never know with a group like this what that activation is going to look like but there was some real true heart ministry anointing that was going forth 
You could just feel the Holy Spirit all over the room. And so I want you to give yourselves a hand. Amen. Can you do that? Okay. And now I want you to take a quick break. Get some coffee. Get some tea. Get something else. Whatever. Right? Am I on time, Pastor? Am I on? Right? It's 3.18. We're good. We're going to take, what, about 20 minutes? Okay. Let's do that. And we're going to come back and get some more. Okay?